Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the FIO podcast with your host, Maddie Mad Dog Borberg. The podcast where we break apart the stigma that everyone has it figured out but you. So let's figure it out together. This week's guest is very special to me. Have you ever met somebody and you were like, man, they really cared about what I was talking about? They really gave a shit about what I had to say, and they were listening. That's this week's guest, and I think you will understand what I mean when you listen to him. His name is John De La Rosa, and he is an incredible bodybuilder and a great human being. Although he has had a very difficult life filled with a lot of loss and struggle, he talks with us today about the importance of mental health and how it plays a huge role in his day-to-day life. He has created a just an impressive schedule based on caring about his mental health and incorporating that into his life. It's something that you would often un- not expect from someone like John, just this massive muscle human being. But John is so well-spoken and we can learn so much from him. At the end of this episode, he gives us a recommendation about some books that he is currently reading and incorporating into his life that have made a huge difference. And maybe, maybe we will make an FIO book of the month kind of thing. I really do hope you enjoy this episode. John is wonderful. Please go check him out and go check out his new gym when that opens, I think, next week. As always, please don't forget to follow, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and let us know what you think about this podcast. Enjoy. We will see you next time. Be kind. Stay alive. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to FIO. This week, we have an incredible guest, and we also have a little co-host with us today. We've got Luke here, and we've got John De La Rosa. Um, So what's up, guys? Hi. (laughs) How are you guys? (laughs) Good. Um, so my podcast is, is great because it has a, a very, it has a huge variety of an audience. Uh, there's a lot of fitness people, of course, because that's kind of our poll, but a lot of people come to this for mental health and all of that. So if you, if you don't mind kind of just introducing yourself, I think that would be a great place to start. Okay. So for those of you that may not know me, I'm John De La Rosa. Um, I have been a bodybuilder. My entire life, you can say my father is a bodybuilder, so I kind of grew up in the sport, um, always loved bodybuilding. It was um, such a large part of my life growing up. Um, but, you know, as you get older, things change, your perspective on things change, your, you know, things become a little bit less important while other things become more important. Um, so, you know, as I got older, I felt like, you um, Maybe I should secure my, my future doing other things. So I went to college to be a nurse. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed learning about the body and, and all that stuff. It was a very intriguing to me. I think it played a really good part into um, my bodybuilding career as well. Um, eventually, I ended up losing uh, a family member to Ewing sarcoma. Uh, he was 18 years old. And that that was, I think, the catalyst to me stepping away from becoming a nurse. I just felt like it was a lot of, um, it just felt like a lot of pressure and a lot of like, uh, sadness that I needed to be around all the time. And it's not something that I, um, particularly wanted to do. Uh, I just didn't see a happy life for myself. I, I tend to, um, 
love very deeply and care very deeply about the people around me and uh, dealing with, you know, constant illness and, and death being in that field, I felt like it wasn't a good fit. So that moved me into, um, as a growing up as an athlete, I was always an athlete uh, in every, you know, in everything that I did. I was a football player, I was a basketball player, I played baseball. So that's a little bit of my youth. Um, uh, then I moved into becoming an elevator mechanic. I did very well there. Um, so I did that for uh, quite a few years as I pursued my my pro bodybuilding career. And um, when I was 23 years old, I won my pro card and I continued to work as an as an elevator mechanic for another year and gave that all up to chase my dreams to, to be a pro bodybuilder. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, been doing that for I'm 37, just 10, 37. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. I've been very blessed um, to live the life that I have from very humble beginnings. My family did not make a lot of money. Um, my father wasn't um, a part of my life when I was a little bit younger. Um, not because he, he didn't want to be. It was just under the circumstances we you know, he wasn't spending as much time as he could with us. So about seven years of my life, he was not as present as I would have liked him to be. But um, regardless of that, my father and I are best of friends. Um, so I feel very lucky to be where I'm at today. Yeah, of course. Where are you from? Uh, born and raised or like mm -hmm. nationality? We're, uh, born and raised. Born and raised in New York. New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. I moved here to Florida where you guys were my neighbors for a little while. <laughs> I moved here going on four years in November. Wow. I think it's really interesting what you say about, um, nursing and why you decided to discontinue that. I, I feel like that's kind of how the reason why you and I have always gotten along is because we're like, not in a bad way, highly emotional and like energy receptive kind of yeah. people. Mm -hmm. And going through nursing was amazing because it, you know, I feel like maybe you can connect to that wanting to help people and yes. be involved in people's healing and all of that. It's, it's so positive, but for people like us, there's, it's really hard to create a divide to yeah. like step out of that environment and come back home and be your own healed self. Right. Um, which is the same exact reason why I don't currently practice. Um, right. cause there's, it's hard to step away from something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was a certain instance um, that I was just like, it was very, very heavy. I mean, regardless, my cousin was going through all the chemo and radiation and watching him at 14 years old go through that for four years was hard enough. But I remember coming down the end of the road of his life. Um, I had spent a night with him in the hospital after one of his uh, you know, chemo sessions and um, I had heard a baby crying down the hall and this baby was crying for quite some time. And I went over to the room and there was nobody there. Mm. Um, the parents weren't there. Um, and it was, a, it was a young baby. It was maybe a year old. And I just felt like, God, this baby's dying. Like, and nobody's here with it, you know, and just kind of going through the rounds, going through and just hoping. I mean, I'm, I don't know what a one-year-old is thinking, but if it was able to think for itself, I'm sure it's like, Jesus, I hope I can make it through this, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was just really sad. And I, I, that was like, that was just it for me. I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't see this. I don't want to be a part of this. I just, it was 
way too heavy for me. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Being working in the hospital makes it makes life and death super real. Like yeah. you, you truly have to come to terms with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that makes sense. What kind of nursing were you looking to get into? Was there a particular field you were interested? I wanted in? to. Yeah, I, w- I would have loved to have worked with with children. Um, but again, like just watching my cousin go through that, Ewing sarcoma is something that like such a small percentage of children get. Um, mm-hmm you know, and watching it kind of destroy his life in the way that it did was just like, man, if I have to deal with this on a daily basis, like I, you know, it's different when you're a nurse, like a general nurse and you're just kind of giving shots, flu shots and whatever, you put a bandaid on it and you send them on the <laughs> way. And that's different. But I wanted to be, I wanted to do something a little bit more important with my life. I didn't want to just be a general nurse and, um, for whatever reason in that time, like I, I wanted to study oncology because of my cousin and I wanted to make a difference. But I, like I said, just on that floor, when we were there, it just felt so overwhelming and it Mm -hmm. felt like there was just nothing that I could have done to help. If that makes sense. And I just, like I said, it just made me really, really sad. And it felt really, really heavy on my shoulders that there wasn't like much that I could do you know, except just kind of stand there and watch this baby cry. And there wasn't anything that I could do to help it or take its pain away. Or, And like I said, like you said earlier, you know, I'm a very like emotional person. I'm a sensitive person. And I can feel like I can feel things. And that energy in that room and in that on that floor was just, like I said, it was just heavy. It was just mm-hmm. not something that I wanted to be around often. You know what I mean? I just kind of was just done with it. Yeah. So obviously that sounds like it was, you know, probably an easier maybe decision to make. Um, was your family pretty receptive when you decided to step away from nursing? Um, yeah, you know what? My parents have always been, um, obviously my mom, my mom was the one who was pushing me. My mom's a radiologist and mammographer. So she's in the hospital and she was the one pushing me to become a nurse. But I think everybody was a little bit understanding, especially in that moment in our lives watching somebody so close to us suffering. And um, I think everybody was a little bit understanding of where I was coming from and just kind of was like, hey, you know, we support you, whatever it is that you want to do, as long as you have a plan. And at that time, I didn't really have a plan. I just remember um, I'm an overthinker, I think a lot. Um, And I remember going to nursing school, but I also remember taking like all types of city exams. I took uh, sanitation. I took firefighter. I took police. I took all these types of exams, including becoming an elevator mechanic, which was working for the local three union in Manhattan. Um, and call it fate, call it God, call it luck, whatever have you. Um, as soon as I made that decision, I got the letter from the city that they wanted me to be an elevator mechanic. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and it was just kind of like this is what I'm going to do. It was an easy decision, you know? And, um, and I stepped away from becoming a nurse, but I walked into a job where I was making very good money. I was, I had good benefits and all of that. It was all, so it was a very easy transition for me to just Mm -hmm. go into that. And, you know, I wasn't working with people. I was by myself and it just, 
it was what I needed at that time. Like I didn't want to see death. I didn't want to see sadness. I just wanted to like go work on this inanimate object that just needed to like get a new belt or whatever. There was no feelings in it. There was no, and just that's what I needed. And it, it worked out great. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. Like Luke and I have talked about before, like he'll go and cut the, and obviously very different, but he'll go and cut the grass and I'll be like, yeah. was it nice? Cause it's yeah. nice to yeah. have like a problem and a solution. Yeah. You've got nothing else to think about. Yeah. 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 It's an easy fix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can also, just, also doing stuff. You can just go through your processes in your head kind of thing where yes, when you're working with a lot of people and there's a lot of different emotions involved in the day you don't have a chance to kind of talk through your own thought process right. and i think like obviously the the um example that matt used about myself yeah yeah um in terms of like what was going on is kind of similar in terms of what you were saying with yes. your job is you probably had a lot of time to yourself to just yeah. think things through and and process it yeah yeah that's exactly what it was it was just like I didn't have to worry about anyone else. I just had to get the job done. And it allowed me a lot of time to, like you said, just be in my own thoughts, be in my own head. Was I okay with the decisions that I was making in my life? You know, all that stuff. And it, you know, although it wasn't um, the safest job in the world, um, I was happy doing what I was doing. I was, you know, it was, it was what I needed. Like I said, I was able to, be in a different location almost every other day or every day. Um, so it wasn't like I was sitting in a cubicle looking at the same four walls every single day. Um, mm -hmm. I work generally by myself. So, you know, I would get like a, a list in the morning and you just kind of go down the list, the addresses, you go check off what you need to do and you move on. Um, so, like I said, in that time of my life, it was what I needed. I enjoy being around people. I'm a very, uh, I'm a social butterfly. I like being around people. I like spending my time with people. But at that time in my life, I just really needed to like disconnect and kind of, you know, like Luke said, kind of go through the motions of what was I feeling in that time? And, and was I okay? Because you're never going to walk away from schooling that intense and be like, yeah, I made the right decision. I was still questioning, like, man, is this, like, was that an emotional decision that I made? Is, yeah. this, is this the best thing for me? So I was still kind of dealing with all of that. But the time alone and, and like, the the reference you made to Luke just going out and cutting the grass was exactly what I needed. I just needed to just focus on one thing, go do it, get it done, allow myself the time to process all these things. Um, and like I said, it worked out, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um since I've known you and, you know, even in this conversation of what you're saying, you, you've always seemed like very self-aware and in tune with your emotions. And of course, you know, we, we talk a lot about like male toxicity of not being able to feel whatever. Yeah. Um, have you always been this way? And has your family like enabled you to be a highly intelligent, emotional person? Um, or is that like something that has grown as you've gotten older? Um, it's definitely something that I've, it's a, it's, it's not the, uh, it wasn't under the best circumstances that I became very aware of what I was feeling. It was, um, it was under very unfortunate circumstances, but definitely my, uh, my mom, I would say was definitely the person who nurtured that for sure. Mm. Um, when my father was, um, you know, not 
in our lives for, for that amount of time. It was hard on me. I was about seven years old. And, um, you know, being, being that my father was taken for us, from us for seven years, it was, um, even though at seven, you don't understand everything. You don't understand the way the world works. And you understand that, okay, well, this person is no longer with us. We're probably going to struggle a lot. Mm. And, you know, watching my mom cry and, you know, the way my family suffered just made me very aware of the, the, the life that I was being thrusted into. And in that, I had to be very, very aware of my, my own self and what my role now in my family was. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I would attribute a lot of who I've become to my mom. Um, because I, I am very, very much like her emotionally. I, <laughs> I curse her for that at times because it's, <laughs> it's such an emotional mess. But um, it is very good to um, be aware of how I'm feeling, to be able to process things and, and to communicate them, I think, is also really important. Yeah, absolutely. The communication part is key because that's something that we talk about all the time is being able to make the connection of how you're feeling and verbalize it is a whole nother task in and of itself. Um, But just because you mentioned family, I feel like I remember you saying that you have a pretty big family. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a a big, beautiful family. I have, my mom has uh, seven, six sisters um her (laughs) six sisters yeah and then from them i have i don't know how many cousins too many to count (laughs) and then from my cousins i have you know younger cousins too many to count (laughs) but it's a big beautiful family um unfortunately we've we've had a rough go at it the month of may i lost my grandmother my mom's mom uh three weeks ago and then um uh, about five days ago i lost my little cousin to a horrible car accident so um, oh gosh! Yeah, we've been we've been kind of going through, but um, that you know that love and that connection that we all have has been keeping us strong, and um, you know, it's it's part of life, right? We all go through things. Um, but yeah, we have a big, beautiful family. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear yeah. about that. Both of those losses. I feel like your family has had a rough time the past couple of years. Yeah. Um. And as, as much as I'm really sorry for your loss, I'm so grateful that you do have a big family that you guys can be there for each other because at least you're not alone in this kind of struggle. Well, yeah. I mean, that was a difficult thing for It's, I try to look at the silver, silver lining of things. Um, it's been tough because my grandmother, um, you know, she was, it wasn't that she was young and it was unexpected. She was, um, you know, she was, it was, it was time. It was just the way that it happened. She was diagnosed with cervical cancer of all things, um, Mm -hmm. at, you know, 89 years old. And then from there, the the cancer just progressed very, very quickly. And then it became just hard to, to watch, you know, somebody go like that. And then so in such a quick time. And then, you know, like I said, with my, with my aunt losing my cousin, that's been really rough too, but you know, I, like I said, I try to look at the silver lining and things and it, it's unfortunate that it's taken tragedy for us to reconnect in the way that we have. Um, but it all, it also is a beautiful thing that, you know, I've been talking to my mom a lot more than I normally would. I'm just checking on her and making sure that she's okay. And, you know, I mean, one of the hardest things they say in life is to lose your mom. 
So mm-hmm. I can't imagine, I don't even want to think about that day. Um, but you know, I just want to make sure she's okay. And she's, um, working through those things. My mom suffers from anxiety and depression. Um, and sometimes I get it, you know, it's, it's hard to feel like you can, um, relay those emotions, especially to my dad. My dad is a, <laughs> my dad is a, a, a manly man, you know, mm. he's, uh, I'll put it to you this way. You guys know this story. My uncle unfortunately took his own life last November and my dad still has not cried about it. Doesn't talk Mm. about it. Doesn't really even acknowledge it. You know, he Mm. knows what's happened and he, you know, the most he'll say is like, Oh, Sal was stupid, you know, Mm. and that's the extent of it. Um, whereas me, I'm this emotional mess. I'll probably be, if, if God forbid my brothers ever did anything like that, I'd be a mess. I'd be crying and all over the place, you know? So it's hard for my mom because she's very much like me, um, where she, she's very aware of her feelings. She may be a little bit too emotional, <laughs> but, uh, that's why I've been in touch with her. Cause I get it and I understand where she's coming from. And if, if nothing else, if I can make myself available to her for a phone call an hour a day, I know it helps, you know? Yeah. Big time. There's, it's hard to find a silver lining when you lose anything, but yeah. I, I lost my grandmother last year. And, you know, out of that, I have gotten closer with my mom as well, because, you know, I was kind of having the same thought process of you of like, man, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't just pick up the phone and call my mom. Like right. that would just feel so bizarre. Right. Um, so we've, my mom and I have gotten so much closer yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that you are having the same experience because losing a parent is, is horrible. And yeah. I hope that, you know, she does find some, some peace with, with that situation. That's so tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I can't imagine what that's like kind of witnessing your dad in that denial as well. Um, as highly sensitive people, I kind of create this analogy of like, you know, you and I, if, if our emotions are a fire, we are like standing in the fire all the yeah. time. We're just, we're just in it, but some people can't even like come close enough to be warmed by it because it's just too much. Right. And, um, I don't know, maybe your dad's kind of like that, which is so tough it to is. see somebody not like confront that situation. It is. It's it, well, you know, like I, I've always seen my dad as a, just going back really quickly as a, as a kid, I remember my dad dropping me off at school and like all the kids, like all of the other kids would like run up to my dad and be like, Oh my God, your dad's the Hulk and look at all his muscles <laughs> climb all over him and stuff. And I always saw my dad as like the Hulk, right? Like you're a little kid. To me, my dad was the, well, he was the biggest person in my life muscularly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've always had this image of my dad as this like big, strong man, you know, and, and he is. Um, but that kind of, kind of facade you know it because look we all feel mm-hmm. we all you know experience things and we're gonna feel things from them but some of us hide it a little bit better than others yeah and that's what worries me about my dad is that like yeah he is this big strong guy but there's no way that you don't feel somebody you spent the entire your entire 60 years of life with almost daily they they had businesses together they owned buildings together they work together every day there's no way you don't feel the pain of losing that person and that's what worries me it's like 
I wish he would just one day, I don't necessarily need him to cry about it or whatever. It, it, look, it, it, I don't need him to be like that. I just wish he would just talk about it mm-hmm. because I know the power that that would have. And I know that if he were to do that, he would feel better instead of being the big strong man that, yeah, my father was the man of our family. All of my mom's sisters are divorced. So whenever there was a family issue that needed a male, my dad needed to be the strong male to step up and do what was needed. Right. So I get it. But at the age of 60 years old, he doesn't need to be that anymore. He's got three big, strong sons that'll be that <laughs> for the family. You know yeah. what I mean? And I wish he would see that, but you know, maybe one day he'll pick up the phone. And I mean, me and my, my father, Luke knows this. My father's one of my best friends. So hopefully one day he'll pick up the phone and say, Hey, I just want to talk. And I'm always there for that. Yeah. I think, um, we've watched a video. I think it was maybe of a, another podcast that you did. Um, and you talked about your father and it was just so nice that you were like, Oh, my father's always been like my hero, my best friend. Um, did that like stem from like bodybuilding or what was that like growing up? Yeah, it was, uh, well, every kid wants to be like their dad. Right. Um, so that, that was the beginning of my life. Um, like I said, watching all the kids run up to my dad and literally like climb over him when he was picking <laughs> me up from school. And I was like, man, I want to be like that, you know? Um, so yeah, every kid wants to be like their father. Every kid wants to make their father proud. But now in my older year, older, but <laughs> now that I'm a bit older, uh, <laughs> and I can see some of the sacrifices that he made um, as an adult now looking back, you know, in what was a difficult childhood. Um, I appreciate a lot of the things, not only that he did, but my mom did as well. My dad was, uh, just, just speaking, I don't speak about my mom enough and I think she's an amazing woman and, and, uh, she gave us the best childhood she could. But in the seven years that my dad was not with us, um, my mom wouldn't even let a man ring our doorbell because she never wanted another man to come at our door and us question like, Oh, who's this guy? You know, Mm. it was always, you know, my dad was her world and she made it very clear. We, we saw my dad every week. Um, you know, it was just, uh, it was a, it was a difficult time, but my parents, both of them made a lot of sacrifices for us to live the lives that we have now. Um, so yeah, my dad is my hero. He'll always be my hero. He's an incredible man. And no matter what happens in his life, he's always got a big smile on his face. He's always like, (laughs) always looking for that silver lining. He's always just kind of plugging along. You know I mean? When my father was gone for those seven years, he came right back home. And I remember one of the first days, well, actually the day that he got home, I woke up to my dad making us pancakes and eggs. Oh, wow. it (laughs) It was an amazing, and I'll never forget that. Um, so, you know, that my dad is just, he's always been the man that I want to be. You know, uh, he's, a, he's a great family man. He's been a great provider. He's been a good husband, just a good man, you know? And I think that's what uh, a lot of what's missing in the world today. We don't, a lot of our younger men don't have um, good direction and, and a good example of what it looks like to be a good man. You know, I think today's world, a lot of the younger men think that 
flashing a few hundred dollar bills is what's important. Yeah. You know, whereas for me, especially at this stage of my life, I would do anything to have a family of my own, children, somebody to provide and put a roof over their head for. You know what I mean? Those are the important things. Those are truly the important things because if I was to go today, um, what have I really built with my life? You know what I mean? There's nothing that precedes me at this moment. And that's really, I guess, my goal in life at this moment is to find somebody that I could settle down with and start a family with and, and do the things that really matter in this life. Yeah, that was awesome. the big picture. Um, yeah, yeah. I think like you said, you spoke when you were speaking about your dad. I think it's important that when we, you said, when you were caught old now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when we get older, we realize that our parents are normal people, yeah, and they go through the same struggles that we think that uh, we're going through, and they don't understand. Yeah. Um, because we always look at them through like this, oh, that's my hero. And they've, they're almost as if like, we've spoken about it before as mm -hmm. if, as if they're not human. Right. Yeah. They, they had a child and then they were given this like guidebook <laughs> to the entire life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so true. It's so true. The other thing I think that's important to, to look back on is, you know, especially my parents, like, again, I had a, I had a difficult upbringing and, there were a lot of times where, like, I got whacked. I got slapped <laughs> by my mom, and I'm like, Sounds that? familiar. What was that yeah. for? You know? but, but now it's like you have a decision as an adult or as you get older. I, I mentor a, a kid who uh, – actually, Luke, your brother knows who he is. But I mentor a younger kid. He's in his early 20s, and he has a difficulty with his family and the relationships that he has with them. And he has a certain understanding of the way his family dynamic is, but I, I continue to remind him that like, you have to, to your point, Luke, you have to remind yourself that your parents are normal people. And furthermore, the decisions that they made, maybe when you were younger, you have to understand that maybe they weren't as experienced. Maybe they were, I mean, my, my parents were kids when they had me. My mom was 21 years old when she had me. Imagine having a kid at 21 years old. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's, it's, so it's like, <laughs> you know, maybe she was under, again, look, I don't, I don't think that kids should get their butts kicked all the time. Like I did. <laughs> Sometimes we needed a little bit. Though. Right. right. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you also have to understand, like my parents were learning. They were kids, you know, they didn't, yeah. they didn't know how to raise a kid. Like, like you said, Maddie, like they didn't, if there's no manual, you know, right, she yeah. was doing the best that she could at the time when my father was, you know, not as present in our lives. And she had four kids to raise on her own, three of which were rambunctious little boys, <laughs> house, you know, wrestling with one another, slamming each other down on the floor, fighting with one another. Like it was a lot. So I think it's important for a lot of your listeners and viewers to, you know, recognize that sometimes you know, when you're looking back at your life, it, I think it's important to give your parents a little bit of grace because maybe they made mistakes and maybe you resent them for that. But maybe it was just a mistake and they didn't know how to do it any better. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's we always a lot of the reason why I value my parents and I respect them so much, because like I said, man, I 
I don't know how they did it. They immigrated from Dominican Republic. They didn't have an education. Their education was not transferable from Dominican Republic to here. So they had to mm. go, go back to college, go, you know, get all of that done all while raising four children. And then for seven of those years, my mom did it on her own because my dad wasn't present. So it's, it's a lot, but yeah. I still turned out, I think I'm a good person. I, I, you know, my, my brother's a, an amazing young man. He's a police officer. My older brother works for Verizon. He's an IT tech. Like, we're all good people. My little sister's an amazing little girl, too. Not little, she's 32, but <laughs> she's little as far as she's five foot nothing. <laughs> but, you know, we all talk. What, what are you? You're like five foot two. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all turned out as good people. And I think, like I said, it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good reasons for me to value and and appreciate the parents that my parents were to me. Mm. Yeah, we, we often say, that, you know, something a friend told me years ago was your parents are just doing the best that they can with what they've got, like the, the same as you. And I myself being 24 years old, I barely figured out how to do my taxes this year, like imagining how to do that with like four other children, like doing all that. That's just insane. So yes. I, I'm very grateful that you had such good role models growing up yeah. um, to kind of guide you along the way. Yeah. Um and since you were saying about your dad being this human jungle gym, how old were you when you first started going to the gym? Did you go with him? Is there any kind of memorable moment there? Yeah. Well, so when I first started training, my father had a, again, we lived in Manhattan in a two bedroom apartment. Um, my parents had their bedroom and then my siblings and I had our bedroom. But in the living room, which my mom absolutely hated, was my dad and I's workout room <laughs> in the living room. In the living room, my dad. Priorities. My dad would literally pull the bench out from the corner, right in front of the TV. <laughs> That's we, amazing. We would train there. Like he had little dumbbells for me. He had a barbell set for me. Like all this, oh, this stuff. Awesome. I was probably about seven or eight years old when I took interest in that. It was right before they, you know, he was gone from us, and then it continued on for me, and it was a. It was always an interesting thing because like whenever I would see my dad, I would tell him about my training and we, mm -hmm. it, was, it was, it was cool. Like, uh, we would, we would talk about like the, the person who won whatever show and, you know, we would talk about who was on the magazine covers and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of people don't know this in the bodybuilding industry because it's not, I haven't talked about that time in my life as much. Um, because I, I was always afraid, I guess, my younger self was afraid of people judging a man that I love so much. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's part of my life and it, I think it's important because it really does show the quality of man that my father is, you know, and the kind of person he was to me. Like it was, a, it was a really special thing for me to like, I really looked forward to seeing my dad and talking about like, Flex Wheeler or Ronnie Coleman, mm. or, you know, the guys that I grew up watching and he would be, he light up because it's something he loved too. Yeah. And we would just, you know, I mean, imagine a grown man sitting there talking to his eight, nine year old son, like, Oh yeah. Did you see this guy's front double bicep? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, That's it, was, it was really, really cool. You know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the human jungle gym was a pretty, he was a cool <laughs> dude. Uh, we, we trained together, like I said, probably for a year or two 
I mean, I wasn't training, training. I was just kind of messing around. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think at a 12 or 13 years old, uh, my father, that same uh, bench set and dumbbells and all that stuff, my dad gave it to me. And at that point, my father had come home and we had moved immediately when my dad came home, we moved outside of Manhattan and we moved to the suburbs. We had a garage and we built a, an in-home gym in the garage. We had barbells wow. and dumbbells and we had a squat rack and all types of stuff. And that was really the start of like me training and, and eating like a bodybuilder. Um, so I would say I was about 13 years old where I really, really started to push the bodybuilder. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did your dad compete? Yeah. Yeah. He did? Yeah. My dad competed a bunch. I always wow. tell him, he, he always says, oh, man, I, so obviously he had us very young and priority was his family. So he couldn't spend as much time and all that money into competing. But he always says, man, you know, I should have, I should have, I should have tried a little bit harder. I should have just turned pro. It would have been cool. We could have been competing together right now. And I'm like, dad, oh. you like grandma's cooking way too much. <laughs> there's no way you're going to there's no way. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. So it must be so cool for him to see you as a pro. Has he gone to like your competitions and your shows before? My dad has never missed a show in the, in the United States. Never. Wow. That's amazing. Every single show, every show that I had in Canada, he came to. The only ones that he missed were the ones that were really far away, like when I was in South Africa or when I was in Prague, things like that, that he, it was just, you know, too much to get to. But every, my dad has been at every show and he's always super supportive. He'll, he'll, if I don't send him check-in photos on Saturday, he's like, hey, where are my check-in photos going on? (laughs) Every Saturday. Every Saturday. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Does he critique you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh-huh. the, the thing is, the thing is, like, my dad will cr- critique me. He's like, oh, you know, maybe you should get a little leaner here. But always on show day, it doesn't matter what I look like. I'm Mr. Olympia. Oh, that's oh. awesome. Oh, don't worry. You, you got this, John. You're in the bag. I'm like, dad, I look like shit. <laughs> like, <I'm laughs> dad, what happened last Saturday? <laughs> oh man that's awesome wow that must be such a like special relationship um i i work with um live roth she's coaching me and her boyfriend is hunter labrada and it's been you know since i'm not from the bodybuilding world it's been really fun to see like hunter's relationship with his dad and so i can only imagine how awesome it is with you and your dad that must that must be so nice to have people that are so supportive, but not only that, but they get it. Like he, he knows what you're trying to do. It's not like a foreign thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point too, in my life, my dad is, you know, everybody's focus shifted a little bit. I think in the last three or four years of my life, I, you guys know this, I took a really big um, emotional dive (laughs) when I was going through my divorce. It was a really, really difficult time in my life. And it became more apparent to me that that was probably something that I was um, deeply missing. Um, so I think everybody's kind of attention was taken away from the bodybuilding thing. Like it's still really important, um, but I think everybody else wants to wants to see me a little bit more settled in my life. Hmm. That's that, I'd say that's definitely true for my mom and my dad and my siblings for sure. It's understandable. Yeah. Um, well, always because it's always, it, I was always the, 
the hopeless romantic. I remember being a young kid. I think my, my first like crush or girlfriend, whatever you want to call her when I was in high school, like I bought her flowers all the time and I made her dinners <laughs> and that was that guy, you know, and I, and I still am. It's just, you know, things haven't worked out in that area. So it's yeah. never too late. And I'm sure no, that the pandemic has not made that uh, easy at all. No, it hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't. But it's okay. You know, it's allowed me to do a lot of other things that I wanted to do. As you guys know, I'm building a gym. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. So that, you know, a lot of good things have come out of this unfortunate pandemic. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of good has happened. Well, and having that time to be alone and be single, I think is really important in figuring out what you want from a person yeah. because like kind of, you know, the older you get, the more experiences you go through and the more, you know, exactly what you want in your life, which is easy. You know, it's easy to know when you align with somebody or not, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which is fantastic because you're just setting yourself up for success, you know, yeah. and not rushing into anything is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, uh, like I said, it, it's, at this stage of my life, it's super important to have somebody who's not only like, you know, wanting the same things out of my life, but are also accepting of the man that I am today. Um, and the things that I want out of my life, right? Like my career is, is super important. The things that I want to continue to like the last three months of my life, I've been working 12 to 14 hours a day building out this gym. That would have been really difficult if I was in a relationship with somebody who mm-hmm. was an understanding of, okay, this man is chasing his dreams. He's doing everything he can to make this successful. So let me just like step aside and let him do that. You know? Yeah. So yeah. With, with that, like I said, with that said, and, and not having that special someone in my life at, that, at this moment, it, it's almost like a blessing because I'm not sure it would have been good if I just started dating someone or maybe they weren't um, as understanding of the time that I needed to spend in this gym and, build it out and the money that I'm spending on it, all that stuff. A thousand percent. Yeah. Our last year of college, um, we, we met at the beginning of it and thank God that we were long distance because neither of us would have been able to have an in-person relationship at the time. Like we yeah. would, it, it couldn't have been a priority to like, you know, be successful in our fields and all of that while yeah. dating somebody in person. Like it was the most convenient thing that we'd be like, okay, well, I'll fly out to see you at the end of this month because yeah. the rest of the month I'm, I'm busy as yeah. hell. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it has to work like that and that's okay yeah. because you're doing a kick-ass thing. Um, are you prepping right now too? I am, yeah. How are you doing both? Um, well, I mean, working at for yourself and building a gym was pretty convenient because I could just, I literally just grabbed a microwave and I threw it in the office <laughs> and then I cook my food. And then whenever I want to, I got to sit down and eat. I, I warm my food up and I eat. And then when I want to train, I'm working in a gym. So it's the way there you go. There. It's, it's been actually pretty fun and um, it's actually been pretty easy. Like, you have two other people you're building the gym with. Is that correct? Yeah. So my partner, Sean Covell, he is the um, CEO of fitness systems. He owns three gyms out on the West coast. Um, they're in West Sacramento, Lodi, and I'm forgetting the other, the third location, but he's got three of them. And this plan kind of came to fruition Four years ago, as I was going through my divorce, um, Sean, who's an incredible friend of mine and, and has helped me out in a lot of 
um, situations uh, emotionally. Like he's just, he's kind of a, he's kind of just like get up and go do it kind of person. Don't give it too much thought where I'm like, I'll sit there and anal- like overanalyze everything. <laughs> You've got to think about every situation. Yeah. yeah. So I remember as I was going through the divorce, he was just kind of like, Hey, you know what? Move to Florida. And at the time we were looking at opening a gym in New York and I was scouting locations and stuff I was like, man, but what about the gym in New York? He was like, New York's too expensive. Um, we're going to, we're going to end up spending a lot of money in New York and the taxes are crazy. He was like, look at Florida. So I started doing some research in Florida. As Luke knows, his brother was there. And uh, I reached out to Flex and he was like, hey, man, if you come, like, let's train together. So that was a little bit more incentive, except that um, I'm such a family guy. It was a really, really hard decision for me to step away from my family, um, coming out to Florida and being all by myself. Um, But Sean was just kind of like, look, you know, this is an opportunity that, you can take, you're not tied down to anybody in Flor- in New York. Um, you could always fly back and see your family, but, you know, let, let's go. Let's do this. If we're going to do it, let's do it. So I literally picked up, packed my stuff, and I left to Florida. And now we're here, here building the, you know, his fourth gym. It'll be my first. And we're planning on doing three to four more in the state of Florida. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't realize that you had been planning this for so long. Um, I had no idea. It was the entire reason why I moved to Florida. Wow. That's so cool. How does it, does it feel kind of surreal that you're doing it right now? Um, the day that we got the keys. Yes. Immediately after it was like, holy fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's real now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the, the financials become very real. (laughs) (laughs) um you know the investment part of it is like oh my god like we're really doing this and but um you know i think we have a solid business plan i think that um sean obviously has plenty of experience he's owned and operated fitness systems for the last 13 years so i don't have very much to worry about um but it also is a great thing for me because i kind of felt even though obviously Flex and Ali and you guys were like family to me when you guys were here, I don't have anybody here. Um, in building the gym, it feels like I'm kind of, um, I don't like, I guess it was just like planting my seeds. Like this is yeah. now yeah. Gonna be home. Like this is home base now. You know what I mean? You're not just yeah. wandering around yeah. the state of Florida. Yeah. So it gives me like purpose. It gives me like, you know, it just feels good. It was it was a great yeah. thing for me to do. Good for you, Matt. I think um, you know that that kind of that story resonates with me because obviously, mm. of course, my brother's over here, but we had to leave behind our family. Yeah. And then when I was living in Florida, you know, I went there to do my master's degree, and then when it was over, I I you know we spoke about it when I was actually living there. But it's all, it was almost as if, you know, this Florida wasn't home. Yeah, it wasn't home. And there wasn't anything that like cemented me there that was like, all right, this is mine and this is why I'm here. And, and it gives you that purpose. Right. And I think, you know, you've, you we've talked about it before and you have in this, I feel like given you that sense of like purpose. Yeah. And not only like, th- like it gives you something, not the word distracting, or distraction is a bit, I, I don't really like that word, but I get it. 
it it make it doesn't make you think of like oh gosh like my family's back yes. in New York I miss them yeah. you have something every day to wake up for and be like all right this is it because yeah. I got to make this work right. um yeah and I, I think that's something that you have right now which is awesome yeah I agree I agree it was it was uh, definitely something that I needed to happen yeah. um and it's funny how life works again like earlier like I said with the elevator mechanics uh the local 3 union job I'm sure you know this Luke you and I spoke about this. Flex was really like asking me to come out to Florida uh, to Las Vegas and mm-hmm. Flex and I became really close through the last 3 years of us training together. And it was heartbreaking. You could ask your brother, I was in tears when I told him I was like, "Man, I don't know if I can go." Um yeah. because I you know, I became so close to him and Ali and and Addy and and I you know, they became almost my family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in having in in knowing that I was once again separating pe- from people that were really important to me. It was it was hard. It was a, it was very difficult for me because this gym thing hadn't taken off yet and I was like mm-hmm. giving up again a part of something that was really important to me for the hope that it would happen. Remember, I'd yeah. been here for three and a half years and we looked at I had hundreds of locations. Um, and for whatever reason, it never worked out, whether it was the building, the building wouldn't allow its use or the zoning or whatever. The, the building was too expensive or too small or whatever it was. It was just hundreds of reasons why it didn't work out. So when Flex, you know, asked me to come out to Vegas and, you know, I just kind of, it was, it was difficult because I, I, I wanted to be there with them and I wanted to like stay close to people that, you know, I cared about. But then Sean and, and Holly were here and they're super close to me too. But I was just kind of like trying to find my ways. I, I felt like a drifter yeah. almost, you know what I mean? It's like, where, where do I go? Oh, yeah. What do I do? What's, what's going to be best for me? So when Flex and Ali left, I think it was January, um, February, it like kind of fell in our lap. Uh, wow. But yeah, awesome. crazy. It was a crunch fitness I'm sorry, 24 hour fitness, who is now bankrupt, was going to take over that location. And our real estate agent called us and was like, hey, you guys got to come look at this location. Um, I think it's perfect. We didn't know anything about crunch or 24 hour fitness. So then we go and we're like, man, this this spot is really awesome. And we were like, kind of like, what's the catch? And she was like, no catch. Here's what it is. They did everything that they you know, they got all the permits, they did everything they were supposed to do, but they went bankrupt. Mm. So it's literally moving ready if you guys want. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah. Happens. It's incredible how, you know, there's all these opportunities where, you know, we can let a door open if, if we want it to and, yeah. you know, not to offend or insult or anything, because of course, you know, Flex and Allie had to do their own thing. That's, yeah. that was their mission. Yeah. But I often think it comes down to these, these big moments where it's like, whose life am I living for? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really important that we're tested with those decisions of like, this is a distraction path and this is your yeah. path. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's really brave that when you were faced with that, you decided that you, you had to go with what was right for you, even yeah. though you didn't know this was going to happen with yeah. the gym. Yeah. I think Luke it's, I, I think that's incredible. You remember that conversation, yeah. Luke? You and yeah. I spoke about it and, it was really, it was really a hard time for me because I, you know, I, I do, I, you guys know me. I love Flex. I love Ali. I love you guys. And I, and I truly mean that from my heart. So when I was faced with that, it was really hard because I had become 
comfortable seeing Flex every day. I felt like, yeah. although I wasn't seeing my immediate family, I felt I was seeing people that cared about me and that I cared about. So it was kind of filling that for me. And it was, I felt okay. You know, it was, um, so when they had left for that month, I was just kind of like, oh man, it, it was hard, you know, because mm-hmm. now my routine of seeing Flex and training with Flex and seeing Addie and playing, you know, kickball with her with the medicine balls in the gym or whatever, <laughs> like all that's gone. And now it was like, okay, well, I got to figure this out again, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, yeah. it was tough, but, you know, like you said, I, I kind of bet on myself, as so to speak. I, I was just kind of like, no, I, I need to do this and I need to like see this through. Um, and then if it doesn't work out, then I know, okay, well, at least I tried and I gave it my all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm super happy it worked out the way that it did because now we have an opportunity of building something great, not just here in, in Sunrise, but also like in the state of Florida, I, I think I mentioned to you guys, I want to open three or four more with, with, uh, Sean. Wow. So that's, that's, the plan. Awesome. that's so awesome. Okay. I mean, everything that we talked about in this podcast so far is just comes down to the fact that humans want like to belong. They yeah. want to have an environment where they belong, where they feel like they're doing something meaningful and you're creating that for yourself, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Um, it, and then in the gym sense, what kind of like environment are you trying to create with that gym? Is it going to be like similar to the dragon's Lair, where it's very intense bodybuilding or are you going a different kind of route? What's your well, vision for that? The vision for the gym is so fitness system is a, is a gym in California that, um, you know, I think for the most part, there's a lot of athletes and, and like serious people that go there and train. I think for this gym, the way we've built it was we have a little bit of everything for everyone. It's such a big space mm-hmm. that, you know, thank God we're, we're willing to accommodate and we have the means to accommodate every, um, you know, every group of you know, fitness enthusiasts as we can. We have a powerlifting room for people like you, Maddie, who just want to, <laughs> you know, deadlift some heavy stuff or squat some heavy stuff. We have a, a entire room dedicated to that. We have an entire room dedicated to like UFC. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, CrossFit kind of stuff. We have uh, mats that we can roll out where people can do some like you know, um, wrestling or you know, wow, yeah. We have spin classes. We have daycare. It's going to be 24 seven. So if you have, you know, wow. yeah, it's, we have, we're literally accommodating to everyone. We have a in, entirely too big weight floor for like the bodybuilders or like the really serious fitness enthusiasts. And then we have the, um, the pin loaded slotted weight section, which is like, we have it catered more towards like circuit training and stuff like that for trainers or older people who don't really know how to use machines, but it's very easy to just move a pin mm-hmm. and do your reps. Um, we also have turf and battle ropes and just all, we have everything. Wow. It's, it's you got everything. That's yeah. so that cool. Awesome. When yeah. is we, it? Wanna, I know that with my association to bodybuilding, people are thinking like, Oh, it's going to be such a great bodybuilding gym. And it, and it is, but it's going to be something for everyone as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, fitness is inclusive, like yeah. you know, whatever fitness means to you, you can go wherever and do that, which is cool that you've got that going. Yeah. Um, when is it set to open or do you not know that yet? June 15th we're opening. No way. Oh, wow. wow. So we're literally like coming down to the wire. We're just oh. today at work. I was just literally scrubbing toilets and 
windows. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. He's like, yeah. I was, I like was scrubbing down windows and just making sure. We've seen you scraping those walls. <laughs> you wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're just getting every, like, all the final details ready so that way we can open the doors. And I think next week we're going to start touring it, just allowing wow. people to come in and train and check it out. And if they like it, great and then the week after that we're going to start taking pre pre uh pre memberships wow okay so that's you're going to do kind of like a soft opening yes. um that's awesome good for you i didn't yeah, realize it was much. so soon that's oh. so cool yeah. you i think you posted on your story today um and it looked like it was done like i saw the pictures on the wall yeah. and the equipment i was like man it has to be pretty soon but yeah wow yeah it's it's Congrats. moving it feels like it took forever but it it's been a long three months. Yeah. 12, like I said, Sean and I have been there 12, 14 hours a day, every single day. Um, whether it was removing tiles, I don't know if you guys, I think Luke, you sent me a message on that thing when I was on that machine. <laughs> I mean, we did every, we probably saved over $150,000 on labor alone because oh, wow. we did all of the work ourselves everything mm -hmm. that needed to be done we tore down the walls ourselves we painted ourselves we sanded ourselves wow. we did everything ourselves um so yeah i take a lot of pride in it because it's something that like when we walked into the first day it was like it's such a massive place that we were kind of like how are we going to do this you know we, we all like yeah we we're just like jesus um but man sean and holly and and myself we kind of got in there and just, we didn't even think, we just kind of went after it and little by little, like every day we were just like, wow, we did a lot today. And then we strung <laughs> together like three months of it. And it's like, wow, we're almost done. You know, <laughs> it's a gym. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Well, um, we'll put the gym information in the cool. information section of, um, this episode. That's so exciting. That's so, that's so cool to think about people going to your gym. Yeah. That's fucking yeah awesome. Good, for good for you. Thank you. Um, so away from the gym stuff, tell us about what you're prepping for. What, what has things have things been like bodybuilding wise for you in the last couple of years? Um, well, if I'm being completely honest, I'm a little bit disappointed with how my career has gone and it's no fault to anyone else except myself. Um, you know, I think that unfortunately when I was going through my divorce, it, it really, it took my, took my drive away I think it took my uh it took my yeah I guess that's the best way it just it it took my drive away it took my focus away I was dealing with a lot of hurt and pain and questions and why did this happen to me I don't know if you guys know much about my divorce but like it was really like the rug got pulled out from under me um and my entire life including my home and businesses that I had in New York were just gone almost overnight um, so it was a lot of like trying to figure that stuff out while still trying to pursue a bodybuilding career at an elite level where these guys are, this is all they do. You know, like I know bodybuilders that like nothing in the world matters to them except bodybuilding. <laughs> and, and, and that's okay. I'm just, you know, um, I always look back at that kid who would talk about bodybuilding with my dad and I question whether he would be proud of the bodybuilder that I become. And I think he'd be proud of the man that I became 
I don't think he'd be proud of the bodybuilder I became. Um, so, I, but which one is which one is more important? The man. Yeah, and that's why I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with maybe I lost out on a few years because I was trying to figure things out emotionally and and yeah. dealing with a lot of grief and and pain. But I also am not done, and I still have the opportunity to make my yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and do the things that I need to do to be okay, be proud of the man that I become, but also be proud of the bodybuilder and the, the things yeah. that to accomplish. Yeah. Do Do you think uh, something I was going to ask earlier was, um, do you think that there is enough bodybuilders that are openly talking about? how they feel and um, sharing kind of things that they've been through and no. helping each other and that kind of experiences. No, I think unfortunately in the sport, I think people are afraid to be who they really are. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'll speak, I'll speak. I don't want to speak for anyone else but myself, but it's been difficult for me to be who I am. Um, just because of the fear of, you know, and I, and I catch myself doing this a lot. Like I'll say, you know, I, I'm sorry. Like I'll apologize. I'm sorry. I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive or I'm emotional. And it's like, I don't need to apologize for that. No, mm, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. but I catch myself doing it because I don't want the person that I'm talking to, to feel uncomfortable. Um, and I, and what I'm getting at is that a lot of bodybuilders do that because mm -hmm. they'll, they'll have this facade of who, or this, they'll portray a person that they feel that the general public or the bodybuilding fans want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, instead of honoring themselves and being true to themselves, and that's something that I've really um, lately have wanted to honor in myself. Right. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not afraid of who I am, and I'm, and I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm a good man. I'm, yeah, I've got a big heart, and I'm emotional, and I'm sensitive, and I'm aware of those things. Um, and I do like helping and I don't want people to hurt themselves. And if there's something that I can do, I want to be there for them, whether you're a stranger or whatever, that's who I am. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but I yeah. don't need to be this like, Oh, I'm a tough guy and watch me go squat 500 pounds because I'm really <laughs> tough. And like at the end yeah. of the day, we're all made up of the same things, right? We all, yeah. we all have emotions. We all have a heart. We all have, we all feel. Um, and I think that the more, I think that, again, as I've gotten older, it's become more and more important to me to use the platform. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm very grateful for God to have given me the opportunity to be on shows like this, right? To have a social media platform where people weirdly want to know what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, you know, to me, it's like all strange. I'm just, I'm just a regular guy, but it's cool and I appreciate it, but I'm going to do something good with that platform. And yeah. if that means, like Maddie, you and I have spoken about this, if that means that I have to, you know, share with the world, like, hey, yeah, you know what, my uncle took his life and here are the reasons why. And now I'm going to go see a therapist because I want to make sure that I'm healthy and I'm dealing with the things that I need to deal with emotionally in the best way. Yeah. Um, if that can help somebody else, yeah, um, if they're in a bad place, just because oh my God, look at John, this guy who's this massive bodybuilder. And look, oh my God, look, he, oh wait, he's just like me. He feels yeah. Just yeah. like me. Yeah. 
right? And that's and that I think is doing something good. So mm-hmm. if if that is what God has put me on this planet to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face, and I'm going to feel good about it. Whether I'm supposed to be the guy who's screaming and yelling, squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing or not, this is me. And I think yeah. that um, the more I honor that, the the more receptive people have become. Yeah, absolutely. I I always kind of think like all those muscles don't make your heart impenetrable. Like, <laughs> really, it doesn't work that way. Right. And more often than not, I find that people that get into powerlifting or bodybuilding as a sport, like more than a hobby is something that they dedicate a lot of their life to. They aren't people that have gone through this life unscathed. It's usually people that struggle with some form of mental illness or have had, you know, some tragedy in their life. I don't think that anybody really goes into these sports just because they think getting jacked is super cool. Like I feel for a lot of people, it is a coping mechanism um, and just a reason to feel strong inside out. Um, so I think it's really special that you talk about this because like you said, men in particular also don't see the side of like how therapy is useful. I know that if I go on my social media and I start talking about therapy, there's going to be a lot of women that are like, this is great. Thank you so much. Yeah. But reaching men and making men feel like therapy is commonplace is, is huge. And I think it's really cool that you talk about that. Yeah, I think um, a really interesting point that you made is that um, although a lot of people on that particular post that I made about a year ago about my uncle, um, on that particular post, I got a lot of attention. Um, I I became part of this um, little organization called Builder Brotherhood where people reach out to me and, you know, men, it's 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 a group of men who may be struggling with mental health or depression or whatever. And I'll randomly get messages from guys that are like, Hey, can you talk to me? And I, I, of course I spend my time talking to them. Um, but in particular, it's, it's interesting because as I was going through those messages, a lot of them were females on Mm -hmm. the thread, on the actual thread. Now that later on, I, I, you know, I get a lot of DMS and private messages and I went back and I looked and there were, hundreds of men who didn't want to comment on the thread, but wanted to thank mm. privately because mm. they were struggling. Yeah. And it was interesting to me. Cause I'm like, why, why didn't you write it publicly? And then I thought about it. I'm like, they, because they're still struggling with, you know, letting the world see them, letting the world see that. Yeah. Hey, I feel, and I hurt too. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was just, it's an interesting point that you bring up because I don't think, you know, although men try to act like they're tough and they don't feel and it's okay and don't worry, I'll just chug along. They actually do, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of them still reach out to me and, and relate it to that post and other posts that I've made, um, but they're afraid to do it in public. They're afraid to talk about it in public. They're afraid to be judged. They're afraid to look weak. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that my mom always said to me, and this is what I mean, my mom kind of nurtured this in me, is that to feel is not to be weak. To feel is to be strong. And to learn how to manage those emotions is to be even stronger. And then to learn how to communicate those things is to be even stronger. 
So it's like, you're not weak because you're hurt. You're not weak because you're saying you're hurt. You're, it, that's, it, that's not weakness. That actually takes a lot of strength to tell the world, hey, or to tell your partner, your friends, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling great. Can, can we sit down and talk? Yeah. It's a lot easier to keep those things within yourself and, you know, kind of work yourself into, you know, a really bad place, you know, rather than to say, hey, you know what? I'm feeling all these kind of weird things and I, I don't know what to make of them. Can we sit down and talk and can you help me? It's a lot harder to say, can you help me? You know what I mean? And, and a lot of a lot of men need to feel okay with that. I agree. I think, you know, even the vulnerability to feel anything at all is yeah. strong and brave. Um, I mean, so it even, it, it even goes back to like as stupid as like, how many guys do you know that are okay with like, pulling over and asking for help. Oh, I, I'm, yes. lost. I'm lost. Can you help me? No, they'd rather not. <laughs> no. They'd rather just keep getting lost than ask for help. It's like, what the hell, you know? It's, it's, I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know what it is, but like, like I said, I'm really grateful to my mom for having made me strong enough as a man to be okay with who I am. Um, now I will say it hasn't always been easy, but um yeah, man, I, I just, I feel sad for a lot of guys because it's, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that they should suffer in silence. And then, you know, like I said, with this build a brotherhood thing, like so many men kill themselves and, and take their own lives when it, all they needed was somebody to talk to. Yeah. You know? And not, I think I, and I, just, I think it's you know it's an unfortunate thing with women and children, and it's just uh, for myself being a part of this you know brotherhood thing. It's sad to see it, it happen so often. Yeah, I think like something you said earlier is about the importance that you may have now in playing that role. Um, I think it's something we connected very quickly over when we were talking in the gym and things like that because I felt. Yeah. You know, it was not everybody is as you know receptive to that kind of talk. And like you said, you feel at times that you have to apologize for opening up when in reality that's like the strongest thing you can do. And people should be more receptive of that kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, and again, I think you know, like you've openly spoken about it, um, and the things that you do for yourself and Obviously, no. I did. Obviously, didn't. I didn't know about this brotherhood that you were. Yeah. That you're doing, and that's awesome. I yeah. think, you know, if you were able to talk a little bit more about that uh, publicly, it, that would be an incredible role to play in. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what what we're gonna start doing is we're gonna have um, like a platform where people just come on and talk and almost like a live session, something like that. Um, but it's really like, it's really beautiful to read some of the messages that these guys put up there and mm. just being a part of something, as you said earlier, yeah. I think a lot of us, um, we, we want to feel like we belong and this gives a lot mm -hmm. of guys a place to feel like, okay, this is a safe place for me to say the things that I'm feeling or even some of them just say, you know, drop by and say, what's up, hope everything's doing okay. You know, it's just kind of like it's a great thing for men, you know, um, to have. And it's a really interesting story. The girl who started it, her brother was the one who committed suicide and she was just like, 
you know, it's sad that he took his own life and, you know, all he really needed was to feel safe talking to someone. And so she started this thing called Builder Brotherhood and wow. now there's so many men that are part of it and talk and share stories and it gives them a safe place to go and talk. So, yeah, I definitely feel like, um, you know, I, I would like to have more of a role with them um, and, and make myself more available to them and make myself more available to anybody out there that needs help. You know, I, as I said, I think that God has blessed me with an incredible opportunity with weirdly having people that want to know what I'm doing because I wear underwear on stage and pose. <laughs> I think it's the signs, those posts you make, man. Yeah. Uh, Will Flex. Oh, we'll flex. <laughs> those are great. So it's like, I don't know why, but hey, God's given me the opportunity and I want to just be a good human being and, and put love out there and, and know that, you know, what I'm doing is going to benefit people that may need it. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's nothing but just letting the world know, Hey, you know what, if you need me, I'm here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the biggest things that we'll ever do is, is make people feel comfortable and, and being themselves and seeking help. Um, and I think it's incredible that you do that. That's why I wanted you on here is because ever since I met you, I know that you've been very verbal about mental health and taking care of yourself and speaking up. Yeah. So if you if you ever have any other messages about this that you want to talk about, you can always come on this podcast and even just freestyle yourself because <laughs> you can't you are you do speak very well. Um, so then I think if we're being um, if we're talking about being self-aware and talking about the things that we do for our mental health, do you mind sharing some things that um, like self-care looks like to you for your own mental health and that yeah. you incorporate into your life? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I have um, some things here. As you can see, I'm, I'm at my coffee. I'm at my dining room table that also acts as my coffee table. <laughs> but every morning um, I get up, I have a routine um, and I think it's really important when you're, when we're talking about self care to really make it about yourself. Mm -hmm. right? It's easy to like say, oh, I'm going to do self care and like just take a stroll around the neighborhood, but not really like think about what it is that yeah. we need, how we're going to feel mm -hmm. better. Like it's easy to go outside and just like look at the birds and trees and just walking around. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit um, of a de-stressor and you feel good afterwards, but you're not really taking the time to you know like honing in on yeah on what we really need so one of the things that i try to do is i read this book every day oh ah! man i i got this yeah so this ah. daily yeah there we go. nice go. so i've been through this book i've had this book now for the last three and a half years this is the daily stoic by the way yes this <laughs> is called the daily stoic guys it's an amazing book um, and that book, as you know, Maddie gives us a little bit of a, of a story to start the day off with and, you know, kind of makes you look at life um, a, a little bit more positive way, right? It, it tells us about how we should be, how we shouldn't allow things in life or the circumstances of life to hurt us and maybe look at it a little bit different, how we can gain knowledge from it, things like that. Um, so that's the first one that I read. This is the other book that I read. The Golden Present, Daily daily Inspirational Readings. Oh, I haven't seen that one before. Tell me about that. So this is a great book, too. I'll read you guys. Would you guys like me to read you today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's see it. That would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So today's is 
become fearless. A fearless person is the one who is afraid of God. What is meant by fear of God, fear of God's law or the cosmic law. That means you know the cosmic law. What action will bring you what result? And you are afraid of doing a wrong action. Fear is created for that purpose. If you keep doing, if you keep on doing the right thing, you come to see that you don't need to be afraid of anything. You become fearless. So begin with fear and ultimately become fearless. The fear is necessary. When you go near a flame, you know what you know that it will burn and you are careful. That is what you call fear. Knowing and staying away from the wrong is what you call fear. The real, the real fearless state is when you see everyone as your own self. When you see yourself in others, you are not afraid of them. In realizing that oneness, you rise above the fear totally. As long as there's duality, you are afraid. You are afraid of your own body sometimes, your, your own mind sometimes, because you see them as different than you. Two means fear. One means no fear. That spiritual oneness is to be recognized. Until then, we are afraid. Wow. We'll have to definitely put the information for both of those books yeah. because that sounds like one we should add. Like um, it's a, it's wow. a really great book. Um, again, those are the two that I start my day off with. And then if you guys will, I'll show you the one that I end my day with. Let's see. <laughs> All right. This one is what I end my day with. Oh, no way. <laughs> I have that. Really? Oh my. Yeah. Yes. Is, I okay. love her. Oh, she's awesome. So yes, those are the things I read. I read that. I mean, I have a bunch of books like that, but I read something like that every night. The, guys, for um, since you're not on the video, the third book was How to Do the Work yeah. uh, by Dr. Nicole on Instagram. She is the holistic psychologist. It is. It's an this incredible awesome. book. I I started reading that during my cardio. I have followed um, Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist, for a long time. Um, I don't know if you know John, but she does like daily text messages. Yeah. I don't know if you're yeah. subscribed to that. Yeah. Okay, um, and she, she's just amazing because she talks about the importance of yes, therapy is incredible, and there's so much we can do, but there's also so much work we need to do when we leave the therapy session to make it impactful. Um, so I think that's amazing that you've got that arsenal of, of books. That's oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Do you, do you take notes and journal with it yes. or are you more of like a read and digest? Oh, John, I will, I will show you my journal. That's my I got mine too as well. This wow. Day. Wow. That's awesome. That's, that's, an, that's way a really nice one. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> <It's way fancy. laughs> yeah. So I guess that's, mine. that's my journal. I, I do. What is that? Some people dream. Some people dream of success while others wake up and work hard at it. Yeah. And then I just do the same thing. Daily stoic. I write the quote down on one page. Ah, okay. And then I just write how it um, has like affected me on that day. Awesome. Or in my, like, you know, in the recent times of right. reading it. Right. So that's, oh, that's I, honestly. So you read it and then you, you journal it almost immediately or you do it at the end of the day. I read it in the morning and then I write the quote on the left-hand side of the page, and then on the right-hand side of the page, I'll write how that applies to like part of my life or so how so I would like to apply it. Mm -hmm. What was that, sorry? Immediately, like you read and then write. Yeah, I do it immediately. So the way I journal is um, I obviously read those things and I try to apply it throughout my day, but then at the end of the day, I'll kind of like write down 
you know, how my day went, how it made me feel, some of the things that maybe came up and how maybe I wanted to, um, you know, deal with them in a better way or whatever, things like that. That's yeah. what I journal. Okay. Mm. I think that I, I'd like to do that the end of the day. Yeah. I think I do the start and it helps start my day in terms of my mindset and yeah. making sense of something. Yeah. But then I think you're right where even if you haven't done anything, it's anything special on that right. day. Right. It's always good to kind of evaluate what happened. And I think that's probably something I need to do as well. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's really important because I, as I've said several times, I'm an overthinker. I think a lot about, it can be the, the stupidest little thing, but I'll like, I'll think about it and think about it and think about it until like, I feel comfortable with it. Yeah. Is that you? Sounds like Marty. Yeah. Until I, I feel like we're the same person. Yeah. Same person. <laughs> Until I feel comfortable with it. That's why I was flirting with you, John, when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I'll overthink things until I finally like feel comfortable with it. But then what happens is when I write it down, it's almost like, okay, it's out of my head and like I can see it. And then I can say, okay, well, and that's why I said maybe how I would have liked to handle things maybe a little bit different or maybe I should have did this mm. or did that. You know what I mean? Instead of like constantly like having this like little rat in my head go in circles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can just like take it out, put it down and look at it and then analyze it and say, okay, well, I didn't do so bad. Like I did. I like the way I did that. I don't like the way I did that. Maybe I should do this next time. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think, again, we, we sound the same um, in that we overthink everything so much that sometimes we have to, like, create a way to step back from that yeah. thought and analyze if it is the right thought, if right. it is okay, if mm -hmm. we're validated in feeling X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it, that's really awesome. It goes back to what you were saying, that self-care needs to be realistic for your needs and yeah. for who you are. Right. And I think it's great you've created, you know, your own system of doing that. Yeah. There's another, there's another book that I want you to read. I don't know if I told you about it yet. It's called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of that one. That is an incredible book. Maddie, you will love it. It's about vulnerability. Mm, I'll check that one out. <laughs> it's my favorite topic. <laughs> it's a very, very. So I struggled with vulnerability in, in dating for a long time um, after going through my divorce. It was, a, it, again, it was a very traumatic experience to me. So like, I didn't feel comfortable giving the most intimate parts of myself to somebody else because I was afraid that they would hurt me again, right? Yeah. And then after reading this um, book by Brene Brown, it just gave me a new sense of like feeling powerful in that vulnerability. Yeah. Right? Mm. So like I didn't, I no longer wanted to feel victim to what had happened and I wanted to feel powerful in what happened and understanding like, hey, you know what? I made it through some pretty tough shit and I'm still standing and mm. – the best parts of myself I want to give to somebody who's deserving of that. Right. And that's, wow, yeah. and that's the important thing. It's like nobody was deserving of that to me at that time in my life because I was, I was afraid and I wasn't, mm -hmm. even if somebody was deserving, I wouldn't have any, ever been able to see it because I was so afraid, which is interesting yeah. because we were just talking about fear in that, that book. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I was so afraid of like allowing somebody close enough to hurt me that I was just so closed off that even if they were deserving of it, it was like, no, I'm not letting you near. 
And then after reading that book, I was just kind of like going through her studies and why she wanted to study vulnerability and what made, I think for me, the shift in my, in my thoughts about becoming vulnerable was her studies in what made um, the relationships that lasted the longest last. And it came down to mm. vulnerability. It came down to being vulnerable enough to your partner to say sorry when there was really nothing for you to be sorry about, but because maybe they were feeling some kind of way and, you know, whatever. It, it takes a stronger person to say, hey, you know what? It's okay. I love you and I'm sorry if I hurt you in any way. You know what I mean? It takes it's yeah. strength in that. And that's when I was like, you know what? That's the kind of relationship that I would like to have. I don't want to shut everyone out. I want I want people to see me for love for who I am, right? Because I am I have I have a lot of love to give, and that book really like solidified in my mind that like I can't be so closed off. I need to be vulnerable again. I need to be able to give myself again in order to receive that. So it's wow. an awesome book. Yeah. I we wrote that one down. We're gonna have to yeah. check it out. But I think what you were saying about that is, is so beautiful. Um, Cause we kind of, we talked about that earlier about, you know, being single and all of that. And now you know what you want and you know how to give that part of yourself to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the scariest part of a relationship, but also like for people like us that are highly sensitive, emotional people, um, is learning how to communicate those feelings because like with Luke, I feel everything all the time and the best process for me when I'm dealing with a lot of emotions is I literally have to sit in silence and like go through this long process of understanding. Do I really believe in what I want to say? Do I believe in the feelings I have? And it is, it's vulnerable to tell somebody that like, Hey, I, I am a sensitive person and these are the things I need to do. Um, so I think it's so cool that you've invested so much of your time into to learning more about yourself. I think there's no greater investment that you could have made. No, yeah, I think it's a it's been a learning experience for sure. Again, I've I've lived in this body for thirty seven years, so I have a pretty good understanding of the kind of man that I am and the things that I want in life. But knowing that and like relaying that to people is a totally different thing. That's that's um again, that's vulnerability. That's that's putting yourself out there for people to either love you or maybe not like you so much for who you are. But Again, that book made me realize that there's strength in being perfectly okay with who you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and that is uh, that was a it was a really good book for me to read in the time that I read it. There's so many. If you ever have uh, any questions about books, I have so many sitting here that are all about that. Like, don't get her started with books. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to create a book club for some time, so maybe you and I oh, can co-host. Let's co-host our own self-help book club. (laughs) For sure. I'll do it. Hey, by the way, before, uh, before I forget, go onto YouTube, search Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E Brown, and then B-R-E-N-E Brown, and then search the TED Talks vulnerability talk. Ooh, I've been really big into TED Talks during my cardio lately, so I'm going to love that. It's about 20 minutes. It's incredible. Ah, yes. This is great, John. We're going to have to have you on after I I read this book and watch this TED Talk. We're going to have to 
regroup and anytime you need discuss. to here. <laughs> Amazing. Um, wow. That was so great. I love that. I, I, I could talk about that forever and I'm, I'm sure that we will definitely have you on the podcast again. Um, but this has been great. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you guys. I appreciate uh, it. Love you guys. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity for being on. Yeah. Before we go, um, when is your show? Like I said, I know that you're prepping. I can't remember what it is. So I'm shooting for the end of August, early September. Um, right now, it's really contingent on how this business goes, this business venture goes. Um, if we are able to open June 15th, I think everything from that point forward will be smooth sailing. Um, but we still have inspections and things that need to go through before I can really nail down a date. Um, I am prepping. I am aiming for the end of August or the Tampa Pro. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if I still have to work 12 to 14 hour days and, and do manual labor and things like that, it's not, I'm not going to be able to compete with the elite athletes that will be competing on that day. So I'd rather right. just continue training, continue dieting, doing my cardio. And then when things become a little bit more clear on my schedule, then I will pick a show. But as of right now, I am looking at the Tampa Pro. I think it's August 17th. Okay. Awesome. That's good to know. Um, so we'll just keep an eye out for you competing in the fall. Yeah, we'll say absolutely. That. That's exciting. Um, okay. So where can people find you? Give us some information about the gym. Sorry. Um, and, you know, your social media, all of that. So my social media, the handle is, uh, I, get, I think across all platforms is at IFBB. IFBB John De La Rosa. Sorry, that was my email. IFBB John De La Rosa. Uh, the gym is at Fitness System Sawgrass. So that is that. And uh, my partner's is IFBB Sean Covell. And my other partner, his wife, is IFBB Holly Covell. They're incredible people. Really, 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 really good people who uh, I admire. They work really hard. Um, I want to give them a shout out actually throughout this entire COVID pandemic thing. They paid every single one of their employees. They never, um, wow. took a, they never took a loan. They wanted to make sure that their employees who they've had for the last, some of them 13 years were taken care of. So with people like that, I just really appreciate having them in my life because they, there's, you know, they care for about more than just themselves, you know, and, and mm -hmm. during a very difficult time, like this pandemic, they were able to take care of families that were relying on them more. And they could have been like every other company that said, hey, you know what, everybody, we're not paying yeah. you guys and do what you need to do with the government and that's it. So uh, yeah, those are my partners. That's my business at Fitness System Sawgrass. Mine is at IFBB John De La Rosa. I hope that if anyone here has heard or resonated with anything that I said, if you want to reach out to me, please reach out. I love hearing from you guys. Luke and Maddie, love you guys. Thank you guys for having me on. And I'm really, really looking forward to the next time we get on and, and talk. Of course. Thank you yeah. so much, John. This has been amazing. Yeah, has been Such awesome. a pleasure. I, I can't wait for people to listen to this because. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>